Good morning again. Um, We're going to be in Romans um, chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Alice is going to be preaching from Romans 5 1 this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 um, just to give us some some context here. Um, Romans 5 um, verses 1 through 5 is what I'll be reading. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, as we seek to hear from your Spirit this morning through your word, Lord, I pray that you would be with Alex. Father, that you would hide him behind your word. Father, that you would give him the strength to preach your word this morning, Father. Lord, I pray that you would use him Father, as, as a vessel to communicate the truth that is found in your word, Father. That you would protect him against um, speaking his own words, Father. Protect him against um, his own weaknesses, um, the weakness that plagues each and every one of us, Father, as your saints. Father, that temptation to continue to live for ourselves. Father, I pray that you would um, guard him, that you would guard us, Father, as well as we listen to your word. Father, that you would help us to Do your will with what we hear from you this morning. Father, I pray that you would make our hearts look more like yours. Lord, I pray that you would um, open up our hearts um, to be more moldable um, by your spirit this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do your will in all things. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, stay open to Romans 5, and Paul is moving into a new section of Romans. He, as he goes through this book, he has different sections that cover different topics, and we're coming to one now, which is really good. It's a section that's all about the wonderful benefits of salvation, and it fits really well with something the Lord put on my heart earlier this year, because... I was praying, and earlier this year, after much prayer, I put forward a vision for our church. I was praying about how we, as George's Creek Baptist Church, could be an effective church in our community. In order to do that, you kind of have to know, what are the problems within your community? What are we dealing with here? And I think the biggest problem in our community, in this area, is cultural Christianity. Uh, We live in a place where there is a church on every corner. If we could just number the churches on this one road, okay, we would spend some time doing it. There's a church on every corner. People in this area, almost everyone has heard the name of Jesus, and almost everybody has some level of familiarity with the gospel. They would say they know that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. They would say they believe that Jesus or God exists. These are things that people in our area readily admit. And because of that, because they've heard the name of Jesus, 
because they know at least a version of the gospel, and because they admit that God exists, everybody in this area thinks they are Christians. Don't they? Everybody in the South. If you're born in the South, it's like you're automatically going to heaven. Everyone in this area thinks they're in Christ, a Christian, but the problem is their entire faith is nothing more than simply acknowledging that God exists and going to church when it doesn't interfere with something else that they've already got planned. That's what we're dealing with here. But as I read the Bible, I see that that is not what God wants for his people. When I read the Bible, I see that God wants more for his people. And so I put forward a vision for our church. It's, it's our vision that we want to communicate to our community, that we want to be moving towards and, and helping people understand. The, the vision is this. God wants more for you, and so do we. We want to help people move past cultural Christianity. We want to help people move past nominal Christianity. We want people to embrace the more that God has for them. God wants more for his people than just attending a gathering on a Sunday morning and calling that the faith. God wants more for his people than just superficial relationships. God wants more for his people than just routine and ritual. God wants more for you, and so do we. That does not mean, however, <laughs> let's be clear about this, that does not mean that if you come to faith in Jesus, that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and have three kids who never sin, okay? It's not going to happen. It does not mean that you're necessarily going to get the promotion at work. That's not what we're, you know, touting here. It does not mean that your life is going to be easy and it's going to be free of hardships and difficulty. It doesn't mean that. But here's what it does mean, and I think this is the main idea Paul's trying to communicate in Romans 5. Salvation comes with countless benefits that God wants us to embrace and enjoy. Salvation comes with countless benefits that God wants us to embrace and enjoy. Now, that's not a message you hear a lot today, but it's true. God has more for us than what we think. And he wants us to know about those things and embrace those things. Because if we don't, it's kind of like having the brand new iPhone that can do just about anything you can imagine and then using it for nothing more than a paperweight, right? <laughs> it's got all these benefits, but you don't know what they are or how to use them, so it's a paperweight. Well, in the same way, the reason God wants more for you is because God has more for you. He has more for his people. And so here's the question that we want to ask as we go through Romans 5 together. What are the benefits of being justified by faith? If it's true that God does have more for us and he wants more for us, then the question is, what are those benefits of being justified by faith? If you look with me at verse 1 of Romans 5. This is what Paul says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, so everything hangs on that. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul's thinking about the wonders of salvation, the very first thing that he lists as a benefit of salvation is peace with God. Now here is what I wonder. I wonder for how many people in here today who would call themselves Christians, would peace with God be first on your list? When, you're, when someone says, hey, what's so great about being a Christian? What are the benefits of salvation? Who here is going to list peace with God first? How many of you would actually remember to list it at all, right? Let's just be honest. When we think about salvation, we think, oh, we get to go to heaven. 
we don't go to hell, our sins are forgiven. But so often we forget to even think about peace with God. Now here's my question to you, church. Let's think about this. Why is that the case? Why is it that we overlook and neglect peace with God when Paul lists it as the very first benefit of salvation? Well, the more I thought about this, I thought the answer is actually pretty simple. The reason no one really emphasizes peace with God, the reason that we overlook it and neglect it is because everybody thinks they already have it. And so you don't end up desiring something that you think you already have. I will never forget, I was at a church service either earlier this year or last year, and I, the preacher there was going off on an absolute tangent. I know y'all know nothing about that because, <clears throat> anyways, this preacher was going off on a tangent. And he starts saying things like, hey, listen, man. Every other word was man, so you forgive me for that. But listen, man, God ain't mad at you, man. God's not mad at anyone, man. He's like, you hear preachers today talk about this idea of an angry God and a God who's got wrath and a God who's just angry at sinners and people like that. He's like, man, that's not my God. That's not the God of the Bible. God's not mad at you. God's not mad at anyone. God doesn't have wrath for you. You need to know that because that's not my God. Now, I couldn't believe that he said that. I was in absolute shock to see a person who's called a preacher, who has access to God's word, saying things like that. But let me tell you what absolutely devastated me. What cut me to the core was as I looked around, almost every head in there was nodding. Almost everybody there was smiling. I started listening and everybody was saying amen. They all agreed with him. And in that moment, I realized that's the overwhelming belief of the world. That's exactly what it is. Almost everybody believes exactly what he said, that they are good with God. Of course God's not angry with them. Of course God doesn't have wrath for them. Of course God's not mad about anything. They think, of course God is okay with me. I'm good with God. They cannot conceive of a world in which they are not totally on good terms with God. They might admit, oh, I'm not perfect. Nobody is. We all have our faults. They might admit they've done some things that God's not proud of, but they cannot conceive of that world in which God is not totally okay with them and their lives, the way they live and what they approve of. Like that false preacher, they honestly believe that God's not angry with anyone, that he doesn't have wrath for anyone. And so, of course, they don't desire peace with God because they think they already have it. Here's the problem, church, and I hope you understand this. The Bible says there is no neutrality with God. Jesus said those who don't sow with us, they're not neutral. They're sowing against us. There is no neutrality with God. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 3, all people are by nature children of wrath. That's by nature. Paul's going to go on in Romans 5.10 to say that all people are by nature enemies of God. They're not friends of God. They're not neutral with regard to God. They are enemies of God. So all people are by nature enemies of God and at war with God. Now listen to me. I want you to hear me say this. I pity those people who believe the lie that everybody on earth is good with God. I pity them. I feel sorry for them. My heart breaks for them. But I abhor, 
I absolutely despise the false preachers who would go around crying peace, peace, when there is no peace. Who lead others to believe the lie that no one has sin, no one needs to repent, no one needs to lay down their arms before God, no one needs to bow the knee in submission to God, no one needs to turn their life over to Jesus, everybody's good as they are. I despise those who cry peace, peace, when there is no peace. That preacher said, if that's your God, that's not my God. That's not the God of the Bible. Let me read you what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 7. Psalm chapter 7, this is my own translation. You'll see it on the screen. God is a righteous judge. And a God who is what, church? You see it there on the screen. A God who is angry every day. He's angry with the wicked every day. The preacher said, I don't believe in an angry God. That's not my God. Psalm 7, a God who is angry with the wicked every day. Here's what will happen. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. That is what the Bible says about all people in their natural sinful state. That's the reality. People aren't naturally good with God. God has a bow pointed at their hearts. His sword is ready. How much do you have to hate someone to know that that's the reality and then lie to them about it? It's like a doctor who refuses to tell his patient that they have stage four cancer because they don't want to hurt their feelings. You have to hate someone not to tell them the sad reality of their situation. I mean, this is exactly what Jonathan Edwards was trying to communicate in his very famous sermon. He said, the bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow made ready on the string and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow. And it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. That is the reality. That is what people have to understand. That's exactly what Psalm 7 communicates. That if you do not repent of your sins, you are angering God who has His weapons ready. Think back to where Paul started this entire argument. All the way back in Romans 1.18, what did he say? He said, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now here's where I want you to make the connection, church. If that is the reality of all people, if that's where Paul starts and says, God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against you because you're ungodly and unrighteous. If that's the reality of all people, then what is the best news God could possibly tell people in that situation? The war is over. We are at peace. Is that not the greatest news you could possibly hear? If you're told, hey, guess what? You're ungodly and unrighteous. And you read Paul say, God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The best news God could possibly tell you is the war's over. We're at peace now. And that's exactly what he's saying here in Romans 5. 
He's saying that, that that's what we have through Christ. He's saying that Jesus ended the war that we started with God. So now we have peace with God. Jesus ended the war that we started with God. So now we have peace with God and praise God for that. That's exactly what the Bible says in Colossians 1, 19 through 20. The Bible says, for in him, being Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, church, the reason that Paul lists peace with God as the first benefit of salvation is because peace with God is what we need more than anything else. We started a war with God that we could not win or end. We started a war against God, and yet he says, but now through Christ we have peace. He made peace by the blood of his cross. And listen, the peace that Paul's referring to here, it is not a subjective feeling like most of us think of when we think of peace, right? Like when you hear the word peace, most of us are thinking about the subjective feeling. I feel at peace right now. I have peace of mind. Or as Glenn Fry would say, I have a peaceful, easy feeling for those of you Eagle fans out there. But that is not what Paul's referring to here. It is not a subjective feeling of peace. He's referring to objective peace. It's a positional peace. He's saying that when we were in our sins, we were enemies of God. That was how we stood before God. But praise the Lord, through Jesus and his death upon the cross, we now are in a new position, no longer enemies. We are children of God through Christ Jesus. I mean, just imagine how absurd this is to the world, right? Like, if you were to imagine an incel group, and let's say you have an incel group that is waging war on a king and his kingdom. And they are trying to defy the king constantly. They are a nuisance. They're always trying to upset his goals and disrupt his efforts. And so the king tracks down that incel group. But he doesn't kill them. He doesn't put them to an end. Instead, he goes right up to them and says, Hey, listen, the war's over. We're at peace now. Now, that's one thing, right? But then imagine he takes that incel group back to his own kingdom, his own palace, and brings them into the palace, not to throw them in the dungeon where they're going to live out the rest of their days, but to make them his sons and daughters, to make them his heirs, the people who started the war against him, the people who are constantly trying to defy his efforts. He makes them his heirs and gives them all the privileges of being a son or a daughter of the king. That's almost unimaginable, is it not? And yet the Bible says that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He took those who were his enemies and he made them children of God. He gave us the right to be called children of God. God initiated peace with those who initiated war. He pursued peace with those who pursued hostility, Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. And so now any person who would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus for salvation is no longer an enemy of God, 
but a child of God through Jesus Christ. And so we have peace. Isn't that amazing? It's just one verse, right? One verse, but it is packed full of messages for the church today. For, for instance, for those of you here this morning who are thinking, hey, listen, pastor, I hear what you're saying, but I don't really feel very much peace. For those of you here this morning who would say, I don't feel much peace, I want you to know God wants more for you than a life controlled by your feelings. Talking about how God has more for you, I want you to know that this morning. God wants more for you than a life controlled by your feelings. Listen, I understand feelings are powerful, aren't they? I'm an emotional guy, so I know that feelings are powerful. They have the power to convince us that what we experience and what we feel is reality. Our feelings will tell us that truth is based on the things you see and you hear and you experience rather than on what you read in God's Word. And so you're here this morning and many of you could be saying, listen, Pastor, I hear you saying that if I'm a Christian, then I have peace with God. But let me just tell you, I don't feel very much uh, like I have peace. If this is what peace with God feels like, I don't want to feel what the opposite feels like. I mean, you look at your life and you see that things are tense at work, at home, in your relationship. You can't seem to stay healthy. You're barely making it financially, making it paycheck to paycheck. Relationships in your life are just hanging by a thread and a thin one at that. You've been betrayed by those that you consider to be your closest friends, maybe even family. Parenting is a whole lot harder than you thought it was going to be. And your life is just not going at all how you thought it was going to go. And you look at that life and you say, if this is peace with God, I don't know that I want it. If this is peace with God, how is it any better than not having peace with Him? And I want to just say this with love. Because what can happen is if you start looking at your life that way, you can start to feel like God is out to get you, right? The reason all this bad stuff is happening to me is because God's angry with me, right? The reason that this bad stuff is happening, the reason life is so hard, is because the war is still ongoing. He still has wrath for me. And so you end up saying, I don't have peace. And the reason I don't feel peace is because God must still be out to get me. And so you're saying I've got peace, Pastor, but I don't feel it. Listen to me this morning. I'm going to say it with love. The reason you feel that way is because you are basing your idea of peace on your subjective experiences rather than on the objective truth of God's Word. The reason you're feeling that way is because you're basing your entire definition of peace on what you feel and experience rather than on what God says. Because I read here, the Bible says, if you have turned from your sins, you've trusted in Christ for salvation, you have peace with God, regardless of what you feel, regardless of what you experience, regardless of what you see, you have peace with God. That is the truth. That is fact, not your feelings. This is the wonderful news of having salvation in Christ. We have peace with God, and it is objective peace. It doesn't mean that we're always going to feel it, right, church? You're not always going to feel at peace. It doesn't mean that we're not going to face hard times, times of difficulty and suffering and and trials. But I want you to understand that those difficulties, listen to me on this, okay? Those difficulties are not evidences that God is angry with you. 
If you're a Christian, all those hardships are not evidences that God is out to get you, that you have upset him, that the war is restarted, that he has wrath for you. If you are a Christian and you have peace with God, it means that you and God are on good terms now. That's what it means to have peace with God. It means that your standing with God is secure and unchanging. It means that in the midst of every one of life's difficulties and hardships, you can say, it is well with my soul because I have peace with God through Christ. Maybe many of you might know the story of how that hymn was written. It is well. One of the best hymns there is, right? It's written by Horatio Spafford. He was living in America. He fell on some hard times, he and his family, and so he decided they were going to go visit their good friend, the evangelist D.L. Moody, over in England. So he puts his wife and his four daughters on board a ship going to England. He had to stay behind to take care of some business. He was going to meet up with them. On their way over, their ship collided with another ship, and almost everybody died at sea, including all four of Horatio Spafford's daughters. His wife did survive, and when she made it to England, and it's really cool, you can still see this today, she sent him a telegram that said, Saved alone, what shall I do? And in an instant, his entire life was turned upside down. He had four daughters in one moment, and then in the next, he finds out they all died at sea. Heartbroken and devastated. And so he gets on the first ship he can find going over to England. And as they're making their way across the sea, he's standing there on the deck at one point, And the captain comes to him and says, Sir, I thought you might just like to know that we're now passing over the very place where your daughters died. All of that agony restarted again. Pain and heartbreak welled up within him. And yet he recalls that in that very moment, when he found out where he was, the words to it as well came to his mind. Do you remember how that hymn starts? When peace, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows Roll. You see where he gets the imagery now. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. What he was saying in that hymn was whether he experienced subjective times of peace and comfort or whether he experienced gut-wrenching agonies that made him wonder how he could even continue living. Whether he experienced it, whatever he experienced, he could say in the midst of it all, it is well with my soul because he had peace with God through Jesus Christ. He knew that his peace with God was secure. And so no matter what he experienced, he did not base his relationship with God on his trials or his hardships, but on what God's word said. And God's word said, you have peace. That's what I want you to know this morning as well, church. That God wants more for you than a life controlled by your feelings. The Bible says if you've been justified, you have peace with God. So embrace it, church. Enjoy it. Rejoice in it. Don't waste it by allowing your feelings to control you and convince you of something other than what God says in His Word. But there's more here than that. There are some here this morning 
who always anticipate the worst. I don't know if that's you, but that's me. There's some here like me this morning who always anticipate the worst, and we need to embrace the fact that this peace is everlasting. Let me tell you why that's good news. That's because that kind of peace is hard to come by in this world, isn't it? When's the last time you looked around our world and said, yeah, it looks like there's peace here? Peace in this world is hard to come by, and I struggle with this a lot, Um, especially when you have those fleeting moments of peace. Because let me tell you what my life looks like, right? I could be experiencing one of those times of peace where everything seems to be going good, where I'm not sick, and I enjoy all four of those days out of the year, Uh, where I'm not sick, when the family's not sick, when there's no drama, when the church is doing well, and everything seems to just be going good. Life is great. Here's what happens. When I have a time in life like that, I end up wasting it entirely, worrying about when it's going to end, how it's going to end, what's going to be the thing to end it, and how I'm going to respond once it does end. Rather than enjoy it like a normal person, (laughs) rather than embrace it and be thankful for it, I end up wasting it entirely worrying about when and how and what is going to be the thing to end that peace. It's because we're taught to experience and know that the times of peace we experience in this world, they are fleeting and it's not going to last forever. In fact, there's a very famous picture of the British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain taken during the early days of World War II. And it was taken right after he made a peace agreement with Hitler, early days of World War II. And right before that picture was taken, he said these words, We have achieved peace in our time, early days of World War II. We have achieved peace in our time. What he did not realize was at the very moment that he was saying those exact words, Hitler was mobilizing the blitzkrieg into Eastern Europe. So that peace that he thought that he had and he was enjoying, it was about to come to a very abrupt end. And see, I think you can relate to this, right? Because there are going to be times in your life when you're experiencing a time of peace, when it seems like everything's going right And then something comes along and upsets that peace, doesn't it? Unforeseen drama breaks out. Gossip starts to spread. The company begins layoffs. A tragedy takes place. A family member gets a diagnosis you weren't expecting. All of these things happen and it comes and takes away that fleeting moment of peace that you had. We're reminded all too well, and again, that all good things must come to an end. And so whenever we do have peace in this world, it's hard to enjoy it because in the back of our mind, we know it's not going to last forever. Something's going to come and take it away. And here's my concern as a pastor. So hear me on this. My concern as a pastor is you can start thinking that way about your peace with God as well. You hear me tell you this morning, if you were in Christ, you have peace with God, but you end up worrying that something's going to come and disrupt that peace that you're going to do something to undo that peace, that our sin and our failures are going to restart the war. And so we can end up failing to embrace and enjoy peace with God because we're worried that it's as fragile and fleeting as the worldly peace that we're taught not to trust. 
Here's what I want to tell you this morning. God wants more for you than a life wasted worrying. God wants more for you than a life wasted worrying. Especially about something that's never going to happen. Especially about something that never could happen. Paul says in this one verse, we have peace with God through. Through who, church? Through you? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' blood is what makes peace between us and God. So hear me on this. I want you to think about it like this. As long as the Father is pleased with the blood of Jesus, there will be peace between us and God. Now here's my question. Is there ever going to be a time when the Father is no longer pleased with the blood of Jesus? No. And so what that means for us is that this peace is everlasting because it is entirely dependent, not on what you do, but on what Jesus has done. His blood made the peace. And God is satisfied with the blood of Jesus. And so there will always be peace between you and God who are in Jesus Christ. You might say, well, pastor, here's the thing. What if I mess up again? I'm not perfect. What if I sin again? What if I continue to struggle? You're going to. I'm not going to lie to you. You will. You might even sin before you leave here today. You can sin on your way home. You're going to mess up again. You're not going to be perfect. But I want you to understand you didn't obtain peace with God through your own efforts. You didn't obtain peace with God through your own works. Peace with God is not dependent on your ability to maintain it. Peace with God is entirely dependent on what Jesus has done. And I remember him saying on the cross, it is finished. Do you believe that today? Can you trust God enough and know that your peace with him is not dependent on you and your performance? It's dependent on what Jesus has done. Isn't that something you want to embrace today? That's something you want to enjoy. It means that we can stop worrying. We can stop worrying that we're going to upset this peace or undo this peace. We can stop worrying that it is dependent on us. Listen, if you're in Christ, God has no wrath for you anymore. That's been poured out on Jesus entirely. So we can embrace peace with God and enjoy that peace. One final thing I want to tell you this morning. God wants more for you than a life of mere existence. Anybody believe that this morning? God wants more for you than a life of mere existence. Because life can feel like we're just existing sometimes, right? You go to school for however many years, just so you can get a job working nine to five, just so you can make barely enough money to pay the bills and pay for food, just so you can go back to work and continue to make barely enough money to pay your bills and pay for food and things like that. And you do that all the way until you retire. Then in retirement, you find a nice routine that you do every day, and then you die. And there's life. There's got to be more than that, right? Like, don't you think that God wants more for you than a life of mere existence? And here's what concerns me even more, is that sometimes we can just merely exist as Christians in our walk with God, can't we? We can be tempted to think that to be a Christian is nothing more than to acknowledge God's existence and go to church on a Sunday morning. And then other than that, we're just kind of waiting around for God to call us home or for Jesus to return. 
God wants more for you than a life of mere existence. God has more for you than that. God wants you to embrace the life he's given you. The Bible says, and this is what Jesus said, he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. I mean, listen, there's a war going on in Ukraine right now. You want to know what the Ukrainians would do right now if they found out the war with Russia was over and they had peace? They'd go out and celebrate. They would go out and live every single day to the fullest because they would be able to, because there was peace. Peace enables us to live a life to the max, the way that God intends us to. So how much more should we, as Christians, embrace the lives that God has given us and make the most of them? Christians should be the most joyous people on earth. We should be the ones making the most out of every single day. And we should be embracing the purposes that God has given us. Because listen, God didn't save you for you to sit on the sidelines and just wait for him to return. Okay? He saved you for a purpose. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the primary good work that God has given us is to be peacemakers and to take up the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So this is how it works. Just as Jesus made peace between us and God by the blood of his cross, those of us who are now Christ's followers are called to go and make peace between others and God through the ministry of reconciliation that he's given us. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see, church, this peace is available today. It's available to anyone who would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus. And God has entrusted you, you, with that message of peace and reconciliation. So don't keep it to yourselves. Don't merely exist. Live out your purpose. Go and proclaim this message to a lost and dying world. Tell others about the wonders of salvation in Christ. Tell people about the wonders of having peace with God. Tell them that salvation comes with countless benefits that God wants us to embrace and enjoy, like having peace with Him. For those who are in Christ, listen, the war is over. The war is over. God is no longer angry with us. He has laid down his bow. He has put aside his sword. And so, listen, no more letting our feelings control us. Instead, we trust the truth of God's word over our subjective experiences. No more worrying about losing peace with God. Instead, we can live a life of confidence, trusting that our salvation is secure in Christ. And no more merely existing, church. No more merely existing. Instead, we live life on mission, seeking to be peacemakers and ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And because we have peace with God, no matter what we experience in this life, 
whether it be peace, whether it be goodness, whether it be trials or hardships or suffering, no matter what it is, we can say, it is well with my soul. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we ask now that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to move past the version of Christianity that we are surrounded with in our culture. A version, God, that says all we have to do is acknowledge your existence, and that's enough to make us redeemed. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who believes that falsehood, who would say about themselves, yeah, I, I believe that God exists, but who's never actually repented of their sins and turned from their sins and trusted in Christ alone for salvation. God, I ask that you would convict them and that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, would you help us move past this weak and unbiblical version of Christianity that says all we have to do is acknowledge your existence and then come to church on a Sunday morning. That, that says all that salvation is is just simply going to heaven and not going to hell. That all that the Christian life is, is just routine and ritual. God, would you move us past that? Would you help us embrace the more that you have for us? Would you show us how much you have for those in Christ? Help us to be able to know what those things are, to embrace those things and enjoy those things. Especially what we learned about this morning having peace with you. That through Christ, we are no longer enemies. We are no longer at war. But because of what Jesus has done, we are your children. God, would you start a revival here in this church and in this community of people who are so, so sold out for Jesus and the gospel and biblical Christianity that it would be all-consuming that the, that the community would be drawn to this true biblical faith and what it looks like. That they would want to know more about Jesus and the gospel because they see a people who are truly living the faith in a way that you meant us to. A, a life of, of joy and a life on mission. Would you make it infectious, God? And let it start here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's my prayer, and I want...